And then in Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who was born with him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's powers. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house, son, and we are his house. He can be and hold past our confidence and most in the Gracious, merciful Lord, we thank you so much that we can gather week by week like this and hear you in your voice. We thank you, Lord God, who has always spoken in his last days, spoken to his son. Lord, as we hear your word now, I pray that I and my friends here would hear your voice. That we will incline our hearts and our ears and our lives to you. Lord, we would drink from the well of truth such that we would honor Christ, that we would profess him ourselves and one another into a world that is still dead in its transgressions and sins. I pray, Lord, we do that right now in Jesus' name. Morning, Chapel Street. Morning, Chapel Street online, and to those that listen to the podcast later on, especially our friends in America. Wish you blessings. We're back in our study in Hebrews. It's been a while. Apologies for the bad back last time, uh, but we're here now, and um, I'm excited about it. Are you excited? Um, but it's been a while, and as you know, I always say the same thing at the beginning of these messages, and that is that Hebrews is three fundamental things that it's about. One is warnings, book of warnings. Secondly, it's a book that is powerful in the way that it can encourage us to endure. And thirdly, it's a book about the supremacy of Christ. The truth that Christ is number one. He's first, he's above everything, and he humbles himself. Jesus is better. Better than what? We'll hear today that he's better than Moses. In fact, the next few chapters, the writer will go on to tell us how Jesus is better than everything. Better than Moses. Better than the old covenant, better than the high priests, greater than the law, is better than the passage we're going to look at today sort of has two bookends to it. The first is at the beginning, the first book of that sort of beginning, that makes sense, where the writer asks us 
to consider Jesus correctly in our lives. The apostle, the high priest, so that our confession or our profession of faith would be good. But it would be true. That's the first bookend. And the second one is at the end of the passage where we're warned, but commended through warning, to hold fast to our confidence in our boasting, just some uh, boasting in Christ. Hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. To understand those correctly, you have to understand what's in the middle, around Moses and his house, and faithfulness that's going on. But we also have to understand the first two chapters. And we know that because the text starts with the word therefore. What falls between these texts will be very important, but if we forget what's there before the therefore, or miss the point that he's about to say. Now, I went back and looked. It's been seven months we've been in Hebrews, and we only do it once a month, roughly. So, um, seven or eight or so, nine messages. Uh, but it's been a long time. So, I'm just going to try and very quickly recover the main points that stand out in uh, the first two chapters so that we can understand it there. The first one is, as I've already said, Christ is supreme. Before Christ, in terms of Jesus walking on the earth, God spoke in many ways. He spoke through the Old Testament, through the prophets, through the written word, through the spoken word that we now have written. But now he speaks specifically through Jesus Christ. Now I know that Jesus Christ is the word. The word itself tells me that. And I know that he's spoken a beginning of creation came into existence. And then he speaks throughout scripture. But what we have now is Jesus, the man, God, speaking. Tells us again that he's supreme, that he is God, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, that he's not an angel. Clear? And then it tells us that we need to be careful. We need to watch out. So that we don't neglect so great a salvation, we need to pay much closer attention to Christ, to what we've heard, lest we drift away. It tells us that Jesus was then made for a little while lower than the angels. That he was perfected through suffering, not that he wasn't perfect and was made perfect, but that his perfection was shown as perfection through his suffering, through his enduring. That he tasted death for everyone. That he destroyed the one who has the power over death, that's the devil. And that he's freed us from lifelong slavery of the fear of death. He's made like us in every respect, the word says. So he's able to help us because he really knows what suffering is, isn't he? Did you hear? So he's able to help us when we're being tempted. And that's what the therefore brings in to this text. In view of everything that I just tried to say, therefore we have the text. I'm going to ask the basic 
question I'm going to get going today. What temptation? Why does he end on temptation? Temptation is Jesus able to help us with. Well, lots of temptation going on in this world. Probably fair to say that we're tempted pretty regularly. But I think the temptation that might be pointed to here, that Jesus was tempted by himself, but didn't yield to it, is to deny Christ, is to deny God. There's a temptation in our lives every day to deny him, to deny his existence. I think that's what the text is asking us to deal with because it's asking us to consider Christ in the context of who he is in temptation. That's my theory. Right? And what happens then in this text is that the writer does a little kind of compare and contrast between the Old Testament character Moses, who perhaps people might have been tempted to follow in the early church, even today, and, and Jesus. So let's read again together. I can't see a thing on my notes, so make the bullet points bigger each time or put on glasses. Let's read again verses 1 through 3 as we understand what it means to consider Christ, chapter 3 of Hebrews. Therefore, you know what that's there for? Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, that's the church, consider Jesus, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Make no mistake, as a Christian, we are meant to consider him, to dwell, to think, to ponder Christ, to consider him as who he is, the apostle, the high priest. And that should be our confession. That should be the thing that we speak out in our lives. So we mustn't be tempted not to do that. Verse 2, this Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has actually been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house, has more honour than the house itself. So straight away, the writer of Hebrews says that Moses is kind of a good guy to consider, but Jesus is better. He brings in this um, analogy of the builder of the house. The house has some kind of glory, but the builder is worthy of more glory. I was trying to work out roughly when this happened, but I think I was about eight, possibly nine, and uh, some friends of my mother had a house built. We were all going to see this splendid house, and it was splendid, it was huge. Probably was that was tall, so it may appear bigger than it was, but it was brand new, and it was big, and all the rooms were big. And I was somewhat overawed by that amazing house. I would quite like to live here. And then the husband of the lady of the house returned, and we all sat down, and everyone was talking about this marvellous house. And it suddenly became apparent to me that the builder of the house was the husband. And I tell you, I had some kind of respect for this man. He's a young boy. Probably no built this house. And that's the analogy that the writer of Hebrews is bringing to us. 
A house is some kind of glory, but the builder has much more glory because he's the one that made it. And then the writer says something astounding in terms of the difference that we might say Moses built to that which Jesus built. Verse 4. For every house is built by someone. Yes, we know that. But the builder of all things is God. You see, that's why Jesus is better than Moses. When you build a house, he's a creator. What are you saying? Moses is a man. Jesus is the creator. Why are you depending on Moses? Hebrews? Jesus is the creator. He built this house, the cosmos. So we need to consider that, don't we? We need to consider Christ as the creator. Because every day, we put people above Jesus. We consider them as greater. You know who we start with? Ourselves. Yeah. It's subtle. It's mixed up with pride and all these other kind of things that confuse us. Our hearts are deceiving us. We can see it by the way we act and interact, the way we think. Moses was pretty, pretty big shot, wasn't he? He was. <coughs> He's the creator. So we need to consider that. He's the creator, the builder, if you will, of the cosmos. Then the writer tells us here that both Moses and Jesus were faithful in their work concerning the house of God. Verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now in what ways was Moses faithful? Well, in one sense, you could say, well, go read Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, Torah, the war. Um, or you could take a kind of shorthand version of that, which for me was Stephen, when he gives his confession in Acts 7 and uh, dies for it. He makes this appeal to the Pharisees and the religious uh, rulers of the day to consider their history in the context of Christ. What works did Moses institute? What kind of a house did he build? He led the people out of Israel into Christ. Through him, God instituted the law, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the system of justice and judgment, and much more. Stephen actually tells us that he's a ruler and a redeemer. Does that sound familiar? But it also says that Moses was faithful in the things that were to be spoken of later. And I'll read a little bit of Stephen's um, confession, his, uh, his profession of faith in Acts 7. He says, this Moses, who refers to people who you rejected, interestingly, by saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man, Moses, God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. You know that that's God. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and at the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from 
Dual presence is a token path. So look at Jesus. So look at Christ. God will raise up a prophet like me, and that's him testifying to the things that were to be spoken of later. Many more, of course. That's his prophecy, my Christ will come. Okay, so that's how Moses, if you will, was faithful in all God's house. But did you notice something else that's different? Some other contrast there between Moses and Jesus in the passage? Have another look at verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. See the difference? Moses is a servant. Jesus is a son. They're both building a house of some kind. But there's a big difference. Both are faithful in their task, but they're totally different in their status. Totally different. Now, I looked up the Greek for the word servant, and I was expecting to see a word that we see all the time concerning serving. Diakonos. Where we get diakonite or deacons from. But it wasn't the word that was used. That was a bit interesting that the writer of Hebrews didn't put that word in. Instead, he put another word in, which literally means Moses was a menial attendant. That's a big thing to say about Moses. It's just a menial attendant. You see the emphasis that the writer is putting in here about Moses. He was a big shot, for sure. We just heard a bit about how amazing God worked through him, amazing God worked through him, but he's just a menial attendant, the writer is saying. Servants literally serve, not themselves, although sometimes they do, but they shouldn't. They literally serve another, don't they? That's what a servant is. They to serve someone else. <coughs> they're not the master, they're serving the master. They're doing their work for someone else. They have no vested interest necessarily in the work that they're doing for themselves. But a son, that couldn't be more different, could it? Moses, menial attendant, Jesus, son. Different status in the house. He's literally the one who inherits the house. That's what the son's going to do. He's going to inherit the house and everything in it. The son is the one ultimately that's being served. The servant is the one who's given authority, but the son is the one who is the authority. They're both faithful in the task, but one's a servant and the other is a son. There's one other little contrast in here that's so easy to just to read over. So I'll pull it back into verse five again and we'll see it. Now Moses was faithful, listen, in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Do you see it? Moses is faithful in all God's house. 
a member of the household. Jesus Christ is faithful over God's house. He's the authority and the owner of the house. If something happens to the house that I live in, which of course is given by Flora, then I'm the one that may be accountable for that. I could be accountable for that. Because I'm the one that's over that house. It's the kind of idea that's why I'm the one. So we see the contrast, we see the comparison. There is a comparison, but there's a much, much, much bigger contrast. And according to that, Jesus is better. According to that, we need to consider him. Consider who he is. Christ is faithful over God's house as his son. And we heard something in the history there of Moses. Say the Psalm 105, of course, read for us today. Massive works of God, right? the history of the people of Israel. Moses plays his part as faithful, but he is a menial pendant. Find that hard to say. But Jesus is a different kind of house. You know what Jesus' house is? It's you, it's me. With a house, it says that literally. We are in Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. He is his house, it's us. It's you, it's me, the people of his pasture, the sheep of the good shepherd, the master that we serve is the son, and we are his house. It's easy, isn't it, to think of the church as a building. History is lots of churches that are building. Some are old, some are new, some are falling down. The church that Sandy and I were married in was consecrated in the 1300s. That's an old church, and it is falling down. But the church isn't a building, is it? The church is the body of Christ. The people inhabit the house that Christ is the stone over. And we know he's in here too, don't we? Yeah. He's in here. He lives in me. Don't speak. He lives in me. But he's over the hammer. You know what that means? It means he wants to build you up. He wants to grow you. He wants to sanctify you. He wants to nourish you. He wants to rebuke you. He wants to correct you. He wants to build us up. So we mean, you might say, in terms of correction, at least. It's Christ's house. He's the inheritor. He's the son and heir. You know what else? You're the heir. You're the heirs. The Bible report, this is uh, Romans 8. You're a co-heir with Christ. You've been adopted. That came out this morning in the call of worship. You've been adopted into his family. He's over the house. You're the body of Christ. He's the cornerstone of it together. This is Ephesians 7. He's building us up into what? He also makes you know, his likeness. Mature. That he can present us holy. He's blameless. That we will be filled to the fullness 
of the measure the measure of the stature of Christ. That's what he's doing. Let me tell you, if you're not considering Jesus, if that's not your confession, if somehow you have a better one, maybe yourself or the world, somebody in the world that you consider as more important, then you will not grow. Because this word, the other bookend, ends with a warning. I'm going to read that now for us. Verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as the Son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Sometimes you know, it's the little words that are the most painful. If, if we hold fast our confidence in Christ. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he preached the gospel and he, he wants to preach the gospel to them again, which they received, which they stand in, which they hold fast to, if. Unless, he says, we believe in vain. And he says what the gospel is. First important, Christ died for the sins according to scripture. He was buried, he was really dead. He did die for the sins. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, according to scripture, and appeared to a whole lot of people. 501 times. And a whole lot of apostles, and of course, there's even me. It's in Christ. If you don't hold fast to your confidence, the word confidence is Latin, it's coming back to us from the Latin. Con meaning with, fideo meaning faith. You're holding fast with faith to the thing that you boast in. That's what he says, in our hope. Let me tell you, if you don't consider Christ as most important, if you don't follow Christ, if you don't get him as the creator, if you don't recognize he's better than Moses and everybody else, then what will you grow in? What kind of a house will you grow in? Where will you put your faith? Where will your hope be? What kind of hope will that look like? We hope in the world. What do we get? Nothing. The end, nothing. There's nothing. Just a grave. And then judgment. But if we hope in Christ, we have the hope of glory. We have the death, burial, and resurrection made alive in us, as it were, because we too are raised from the dead. Oh, isn't that what the gospel says? You have eternal life. Well, how can you have eternal life if you're not raised from the dead? Eternal death instead, living somewhere else, which is far worse. What are you boasting in? Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Nobody else. Save in the death of Christ, my God. What are you boasting in? What is your confideo? What is your faith in? What is your profession of faith? It's easy to come in here, I may say, and say the right things. There's a tradition around saying the right things and having the right answers. Believing them is key. Believing in the Son 
is primary thing now. And what is our most delight when we go out in this world? When we meet people that don't know Christ, what are we going to boast in them? Ourselves? Our prowess? How good we are in our jobs? How much money we have in the bank? How cool we are? How friendly we are? How many friends we've got? Even boasting in others. Would our profession come from considering Christ such that we only really want to boast in Him? As Peter say, when people ask you, why have you got such a hope in you? What are you going to do? <laughs> Tell them the gospel. Tell them why you've got a hope. If you don't consider Christ, then question whether we have that hope. We have to consider Him all the time, then. Not just Sunday when we come here, not just when we turn up at the prayer night, all the time. Listen. I want to encourage you to do that. Will you encourage me to do that? Will you? Yes. Yes. What are you holding fast to? Because if you're not holding fast to Christ, if he isn't the profession of your faith, then frankly, you have no hope. You are not standing on a rock. You're on sinking sand. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. What Bible study you do or don't go to? How many times you give out Bibles? You don't know Christ. Your confession isn't on Him. So as we close, I just want to commend and call you to consider Christ. Supreme God a man. And sometimes you can be in church and people will describe Jesus as just a great friend, a buddy that helps me get through life. He's the one who built the house that is the cosmos. And he's a friend. Abraham believed God and became his friend. Don't treat him like just a man. He's a man. He's God as a man. Emptied himself, and heard it this morning, the communion, that minor sacrifice, the obedience, fulfillment of the law, holding the righteousness, and vindicating God's good, holy character, and saving us in the process. We're not the primary thing here, we're the secondary thing, frankly. Consider him that way. Consider Moses as the most important. It's unlikely in our context that there are some Christians that frankly focus too much on the Old Testament, too much on the types and the models. That's all good. If you see more of Christ, if you think that that stuff's more important than Christ, you've missed the very point of it. Consider Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who was buried for you, the one who rose again from the dead. Now I wonder where I should go in closing. Uh, today's message. And then it hit me That's great, Lord. We'll go there. <laughs> and that was to Peter. Because Peter often considered other things, didn't he? he considered Christ, and then he didn't consider Christ. And he rebelled against Christ, and he came back until the day of Pentecost when the Lord went on the leash. He went for it, didn't he? God. I was forced to think of that passage where the Lord says to the disciples, Hey guys, I'm paraphrasing a bit here, hey guys, 
what do people make of me? No, who do they say I am? They give pretty good answers. The Old Testament answers. Well, you know, some say that you're Elijah, and some say that you're John the Baptist back from the dead, or one of the other prophets. Great answers. What are they saying? Those people, not the disciples. Well, it's just another Old Testament character that's come in. You know, we had the Moses, we had Elijah, we had the Jeremiah's, we had Samuel's, we had the Kings, and then we had another one. Jesus says the most important question. What about you? Who do you say that? And Jesus directly asks somebody, who do you say that I am? I don't care what anyone else says. Well, what about you? He gives the most beautiful answer. Okay. His son, he could have just said, over the house, <laughs> over the house of the living God. I know he goes up the track and eventually the Lord Jesus restores him completely. As Peter doing he's holding fast his confidence in Christ. He, he exclaims this, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Confession is clear. He considers Christ correctly. He holds fast his hope. And he's boasting in his hope. What a hope. Jesus Christ, the son of the house, crucified for you, buried, not without hope, because of the resurrected life, a living hope, isn't it? It's a life in hope, a living hope through resurrection, because we have new life, because we have won again. So here Peter then, 30 years later, writing to the churches to encourage them. I want to encourage you with this as we close. He says this, First Peter 23, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There it is. How? Well, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, through an inheritance you get it? A son. You inherit something. What do you inherit? You inherit Christ. You're adopted into his family. You're one of the people that gets to inherit. To an inheritance. That's imperishable. Not like the stuff of the Old Testament. It's imperishable. It's undefiled, this house. It's unfading. And more than that, it's kept in you. It's not going to fade away. Jesus Christ has kept it for you in heaven, through you who, by God's power, are being guarded, you see, through faith, through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed. The confidence in Christ, best house of all, best faith. Oh God and our Father, I thank you for this uh, beautiful text, which just so simply shows us who your Son is, 
the better house that he is, the better house that he's building, the son, not the menial servant, and yet a servant king who now reigns victorious at right, right hand of the majesty on high. Lord, I pray that we, as just weak vessels, Lord, would grasp something of that. That our confession would be true and bold and powerful in the name of Christ because we consider him apostle, the high priest, king, the Lord of all, the creator, the inheritor, the son, who used him, who has adopted us. Lord, would that be our confession instead as we go out into the world for another week? The Lord bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>